guys, welcome back to another week of Money in the Bank. I'm your host, as always, Angie, and with me I have Brett. Hey, guys. So last week we mentioned a giveaway, and we were really rusty last week because we had taken a month off. Um, So I want to actually provide more details about the giveaway. So we will announce the winner on our 50th episode, which will be in about eight weeks or something like that. Um... And we're going to give away $50 for our 50th episode, which I think is pretty, pretty good, right? Yeah, I'll take cash value over, you know, some weird, like, recycled present anytime. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. It is just cold, hard cash. Um, we'll, like, PayPal the money or Venmo or Google Wallet, and you just get the money. So if you want to pay off debt or if you want to invest in, you know, a mutual fund, like, you can do whatever you want with it. Obviously, since we're a financial podcast, we hope that you're going to pay off debt or invest this money. Um, But, you know, you can do absolutely whatever you want with it. It would just be your money. So that's exciting. Um, And again, the way to enter is to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Or, um, you know, we wanted to like give multiple ways to enter this, I guess. So if you don't want to leave a review, then you can, um, you know, hop on over to Facebook and share it with your friends. Or if you don't, use Facebook very often, like Brett, then you can use your email and just email your friends and just go ahead and send me a screen capture to Angie at moneyinthebank.com showing that you actually shared our podcast with somebody or left a review and you will be entered to win. And every friend that you refer is another entry. So if you refer 100 friends, then you have 100 entries to win 50 bucks. Awesome. So, all right. Um, Are you ready for your trivia question, Brett? All right, yeah. Hopefully this is the last eight trivia questions. All right, so how much do they recommend that you save every paycheck? They being like the financial experts collectively. Uh, so are you looking for like a percentage here or a dollar Percentage, amount? yeah. Um, 30%? Is that in the ballpark? 20%. So yeah, okay. I, I figured you I'm, would be aggressive. I'm a little aggressive as a saver, that's true. So yeah, they actually recommend that you save 20%. 30% is for discretionary spending, and 50% is for fixed expenses. So like 50% for your, you know, fixed loans and mortgage payments or rent or, you know, food because you know you're going to have that every month. And then 30% more for, well, I guess food could be, you know, discretionary as well if you're like going out to eat and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um they recommend kind of splitting it up that way. Um, but actually, you know, I wanted to talk about savings rates today because I got kind of a question in that was like, how did your savings change going from being a sink to a dink? So that means single income, no kids to dual income, no kids. Um, and, you know, I, I would say that a lot of our podcasts in the past, I've tried to stick with percentages of savings. And that kind of can apply either or, right? You kind of, those are the like the goal percentages to aim for. So when we say save 20% of your income, that should apply whether you are single or, you know, a dual income. And I think the difference really for us has been we were two frugal people who got together and just our savings just exploded. Right. And even with the percentage model, it's harder because, I mean, your fixed expenses don't change when you're a single person. They don't really increase as much when you're living together with somebody else, right? It's still roughly the same. Maybe like the size of your apartment goes up or something like that. But 
um, you know, you're sharing a lot of those same expenses together. So, I mean, for us, it's a little bit easier being dual income, no kids, a little bit easier to get ahead than it is for a single person, right? Definitely. But, you know, I would say, you know, I think we should like hop in the time machine and go back to when we were single living in Chicago. Um, well, I guess we weren't single, but we were, we didn't combine our finances yet and we had our own apartments. Right. And, uh, but we did have, you know, professional careers at that point. And maybe talk about how we approach savings then. Um, because we really didn't merge any of our expenses at that point. And I would say I was still, when I first started my very first job with my first 401k, I was putting in 12% each paycheck, just to my 401k. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, I was also saving up an emergency fund and I was paying off my student loans. And I know people are probably going to ask the question of, well, you were paying off debt, that doesn't count as savings. You can kind of think of loan repayments as eventually one day that is like, you will be saving that money once those loans are paid off. As long as you don't inflate your lifestyle after you pay the loans off to spend that money on something else. Right. So you change it around and say, oh, I don't have any debt anymore. I'm going to buy a boat instead or something, right? Right. Or just instead of making that loan payment to somebody else, to a bank or to a loan officer, make it to your own bank account, make it to yourself. Yeah. And then, right, that turns into your savings account. But even, I mean, I think we recommend also to some degree, and it depends on the situation, to be able to continue saving or building an emergency fund while you're still paying off some of that debt. Yep. Too. So that's that's a little bit separate from that. Yeah, and, and that's why it's hard to kind of nail down, you know, an exact percentage for some of this. Um, but I would say, you know, strive for that 20%, whether you're single or dual income. Um, but when you can go higher, go higher. So, you know, when I was living in Chicago, I would say I was probably closer to a 30% savings rate. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was really focused on paying off my debt as well as building an emergency fund, which was actually really important that I built that emergency fund because I had about five months of my working career and I was putting away money in emergency fund. I really wanted to get it up to about $5,000. And then I had a huge medical expense and I was on a high deductible plan. So it completely wiped out my savings. Um, and I think, you know, that was a really interesting time in my life for me because I, you know, we were kind of still early on in our relationship. And I remember like having to tell you, like, I can't afford to go, you know, to take go out to dinner with you because I have too many bills. And you would either be like, hey, I'll pay for dinner or like, okay, we'll cook at home. Um, and I think that kind of forced us to have those like conversations earlier in our relationship of like getting on the same page with money. Right. Which is, you know, there's a lot of people that I talk to that get into a relationship and they're like, you know, they always say like, oh, well, relationships are just expensive because when you first meet somebody, you know, you're like going out with them all the time or, you know, driving to meet them if it's long distance like we were. And that can be really expensive. So I think. Or you don't want to just you don't want to appear like you're cheap. Right. In the right. First place. Like, yeah. Like I'm a cheap date. Like I don't want to go out and like have like a nice dinner every time we do anything. Right. Let, like let's do things at home. Let's do things that are less expensive. But then I feel like after one or two dates, like and you're really getting to know somebody and, you know, how you live your life and how they live their life to understand that, like, hey, these are my goals and like 
I saving money in this regard is like one of my goals and I would like to like continue doing that. So that comes off as like, I'm not cheap. I'm like motivated. Right. Right. Or I'm like striving toward doing something that is like important to me. Right. Can you help me do that? And it's something that I think I wish we talked about in society more. Um, like even, you know, when I think about being in college and when I was, you know, single and trying to work through college, like I actually had some really good influences on me. Um, my roommates were both like really good with money and like really good about savings and kind of getting ahead and meal planning and like thinking about groceries. And that really helped me, you know, do a better job of like not going out to eat all the time in college or not, you know, focusing on like getting fast food every day like a lot of people do. And like I cooked a lot of my meals at home in college because that's what my roommates were doing. Um, so I think like, you know, sometimes surrounding yourself with, with the right people. And, you know, even like when I was single, one way in college that I saved money was, you know, me and my roommates would go grocery shopping together and we would do like family dinner night where like somebody each week would be responsible for cooking dinner and we'd always have leftovers. But then the nice thing about that is you can cook in bulk. And so even though we were, I was spending a little bit more once a week, then I had two weeks off where they were cooking, you mm -hmm. know? And so I think even when you're single, you can kind of find ways to, you know, have different events with your friends where you can you still merge finances at some, you know, on some level and get some sort of savings back. Right. Uh, I mean, meal prep is a great example, because even if you don't have roommates, you could make that same amount of food for yourself and just like meal plan for the week. And then you just have a ton of food like when you make yeah. enchiladas or a pan of lasagna or like you know, burritos that you all like make these huge quantities of food that are like relatively inexpensive to make that can be really, you know, healthy for you basically if you get all good ingredients and put them inside of there, right? Um, right, and you can eat those forever or you can freeze them and, you know, do it in advance for really inexpensive. Yeah. So it's like you and I, we make food and you eat half and I eat half and or like we both eat a third and then we save some for lunch the next day. But if I was a single person, then I would just have three meals. Yeah. Well, or and you've been traveling a lot lately. And, like, I feel like my food costs have gone down because I'll just eat whatever I find. I'm like, <laughs> mm, some beans. Like, I just make a pot of beans. Like, I don't even, I can't even really tell you what I'm eating. I just eat things. Like, I'm just like, oh, a, a bunch of brat. Like, okay, so I used to be a vegetarian. And that's kind of always what I revert back to when you're gone. And, like, I'll, yeah, I'll just cook up a head of broccoli and I can, like, live off of that. Like, no problem. So I'm probably slightly defective because I, I'm, I, can, I can also eat the same thing every day. So if I make, you know, I made a big batch of buttered chicken one week when you were gone. And I just, I could eat that for every single meal while you were gone. And I made so much that you got home and you ate it for every single <laughs> meal all weekend. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, I mean, that's a huge thing is making large quantities. And if you need to freeze it, freeze it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I would say the single bi biggest expense that I really had to focus on when I was single was rent. Because if you want to live on your own, you will pay a premium. Yeah, that's that's the biggest, uh, you know, drain for your bank account. Yeah. Be yeah. It's the most likely place you're going to get taken advantage of. You're not going to be able to get economies of scale with, you know, a single person getting a single single bedroom. Or if you're getting a two-bedroom, then uh, most places you're getting taken advantage of. Like, if, we tr if each one of us tried to get a single 
no roommate, two-bedroom place in Chicago, we would have been paying out the nose for that, right? But, okay, like, let's be honest, and you even worked from home a lot of the time. As a single person, you don't need a two-bedroom. No, I didn't need it there. I don't need like, it here. I, no. I got a one-bedroom. I probably could have even done a studio as a single person, and I would have been fine. Like, you just... I think a big thing, too, is, like, living within your means. And that was something when I moved to Chicago that I tried to really keep in mind because I knew it was a more expensive city. So, like, when I moved there, it would have been very easy to get caught up in, like, the gorgeous high-rise buildings. And I could have... So, I moved there, and I ended up paying ten eighty in rent a month. But I could have had, like, an amazing place if I was willing to jump up to, like, 1500 and I could have afforded that, but instead I was like, I'd rather have the $420 a month to, you know, do anything else with. Because as a single person, it's not just your rent. It was, I had to pay all the electric bills. I had to pay the cable bill, right? Like, that's all you. Where, when I came from, you know, my college living situation where I had four roommates, our electric bill was split four ways. Our cable was split four ways. So, like... You know, even an internet bill, when it's 60 bucks a month, which is very common for a Comcast internet package, I was used to paying 15 in college, and that just jumped up to 60 I mean, that's huge. That's a huge difference. Right. And for literally the same thing. Getting no value. Right? Yeah, no, no value add. Um, so, you know, another big thing that I knew a lot of people in Chicago did, because you're living in apartment buildings, you, like, make friends with your neighbors, and you're like, hey, let's share internet. Right, because you see every time you log into your computer, you see like 50 Wi-Fi networks, right? So it makes sense that you could share with the person next door to you as long as you know who they are. There's a lot of inherent security risks from a technology perspective in doing that. So I would like really make sure that you trust that person uh, first of all before that happens. But yeah, that is an option as well. Yeah. Um, And you know, in, in hindsight, another thing too is like there are a lot of young professionals in cities and if I would have stayed in Chicago longer term and not like moved in with Brett, I probably would have gotten a roommate at some point because you save so much money by even having one roommate. Yeah. Like if you can, if you can stomach it. Yeah. And if you're not like sick of roommates from college or, you know, you're not averse to people right, then uh, it's it's a smart thing to do to live either with a roommate or in like a co-op situation. Right. Yeah, co-ops are really popular um, kind of where we are now in the Midwest. They've really kind of like gained a lot of traction, but I know we have a lot in town um, and even like other cities in Michigan, like Grand Rapids and Detroit, they're really kind of popping up a lot more. Well, I mean, this is an old concept, right? If you're not familiar, right? The, like, I think your grandparents lived in a co-op like yeah. in, in Columbus, like in the 60s or something. Yep. Right. It was way more common around then to just be like in a community building with other people and sharing the same resources. Yeah. So the concept of co-op for people that are unaware is you basically live in a huge house and sometimes like 20 bedroom house and you'll share common areas like living rooms or kitchens. And it's not always like one living room and one kitchen. It might be set up in like quadrants where you have like you know, for this section, you have a living room and then you have a giant kitchen. And a lot of times food may or may not be included. So we actually learned about this because we were um, kind of part of like the grocery co-op in town. And through that, we, 
you know, learned about like housing co-ops and the, they partnered with the grocery co-op to supply the food for the building. So for your like $500 a month, you had room and board and it included like a lot of your food. Mm-hmm. But then everyone has a, right? Like everyone has to pitch in to make the household function. Um, so you do have to kind of like vet the co-op that you're going to and make sure, you know, you agree with its direction and goals or, you know, you don't want to sign on to like have to do all this work if you can't, if you don't have the time for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can be a great thing. And, you know, I even think sometimes in cities, like, realistically, if you're sharing common areas with, you know, other young professionals, you can usually find a pretty good situation, I would I would think. Yeah, I think I think if you haven't tried it, there's a lot of good people out there. It's, you know, the chances are good that you'll find somebody that's like not a creeper <laughs> rather <laughs> than somebody that, you know, is, is, is going to you know be a bad situation or a really terrible person to live with. Yeah. Um, so kind of to peel this back a little bit, do you kind of remember at all what your savings percentages looked like um, when you were single? Uh, so I was like super lucky to get, you know, really in for where I was living and like right off of the lake in Chicago, like my, my, my rent was like nine ninety nine. It was locked in the entire time I lived there for over three years. Right. So you live like across the street from me, basically in a building that was only three stories and the elevator you thought was going to kill you every time you got in it. Yeah. Right. It was, I did a lot of stairs and they smelled like piss. Yeah. It was a, a lot shadier and yours mm-hmm. was more expensive. So I was like super fortunate in that regard. So that enabled me to save like a, a quite a bit more. But what Brett doesn't know is he's always traveled a lot during the week. So like Monday through Thursday, I got the nicer apartment anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Snuck over. I would just let myself in. <laughs> and that's a, I, I mean, I saved probably like, I would say more than 30% of what I was making um, yeah. because I didn't have a lot of expenses. When I traveled, everything was covered for me for like eating and things like that. So, and you know, I really wasn't even in my apartment that often when I was there Well, because I would go to different places on the weekends or I'd go back and visit my parents or visit friends or something on the weekends when I was just traveling around. I think both of us really, um, you know, we're, we're both frugal by nature, but we also moved to a big city, and I think we were both a little scared of how expensive a city would be, so we tried to safeguard ourselves. And what I mean by that is we knew housing was going to be expensive. And so when I look at people's budgets, the, mo- the biggest areas of expense are housing and transportation. Mm-hmm. So since we knew housing was going to be expensive, our transportation ended up being nothing, basically, because we both got rid of cars. So we didn't take cars into the city with us, And we completely relied on public transportation, which was $86 a month for unlimited transportation. Well, that's cheaper than it would have been to insure a car, let alone register it and drive it. Right. Pay for gas, pay for parking, pay for a parking permit. Yeah. All all that other stuff's on top of just the regular registration. Yep. So... Um, that was a huge way that we, you know, saved a lot of money. And, and we both really prioritized saving, I would say, um... And that's something I always recommend, you know. So when I was building my budget to move to Chicago, I built in being able to save at least, you know, 20 to 25% of my income. And then most months I could save more than that because I, you know, just the other beauty about living in a big city is there's always free stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Like there were free festivals. 
Um, and, you know, we actually did a podcast about saving in a big city, so I won't dwell on that. But, you know, I think a key thing as a single person is to really plan before you because housing, let's just face it, housing is the biggest expense we have. So make sure you're really planning before you move somewhere. So don't just like sign a lease for a place thinking it'll all work out. Like make sure you know what your budget is and stick to it. And if it takes you a little bit longer to find a place or you need to, you know, Airbnb for a month while you look for a better living situation, sometimes that can be totally worth it because it takes you, you know, one more month to find something, but then you save $200 a month, Mm -hmm. you know, and that, that can be worth it. So I think no matter where you are, Getting your housing costs down is important, and keeping transportation down is important. Um, and honestly, when even when you're dual income, transportation isn't something that really goes down because you both usually maintain a car. Right, you're you've got two different jobs in two different places. Right, more than more likely than not. So you got people going in different directions. So yeah, it'll that usually would double. Yeah, close to. So it. yeah, when we merged finances, I'm trying to think about where we saved. Obviously, housing. Yeah, I think I think to some degree, food you could say, but I think yes. I think that was a combination of we are sharing meals, we were buying things more in like bulk, we were um, splitting a lot of the groceries anyway. But you know, it was more that we were just making food at home more rather than just being single and like going out and getting Subway or like you know Jersey Giant or <laughs> Jersey Giant. <laughs> Shout out. Um, yeah, and I will say phone bills, I guess, if you're, you know, on Verizon um, on a single plan, that is the worst thing you could ever do. Uh, right now, just go switch to Google Fi or Republic Wireless. Um, or that other crazy Ting one. or something like, no, no, Mint Sim. Yeah, Mint Sim is the best one in the market right now. For yeah. sure, yeah. You can prepay a whole year for like 120 bucks. Yeah, I'm trying to get my parents on that right now for sure. Yeah. Because um, it's it's way cheaper than their current plan for how much they use data on their phones. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, that's an area where you can get it down. What else are the big expenses? We covered I mean, ca- cable housing. and internet, electricity, and internet. all the utilities. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest savings because you're splitting what you were using anyway. But I will say, you know, we actually had somebody move in with us at one point And our electricity went way up just because we are both like super paranoid about like saving electricity and then we lived with somebody who wasn't and so you know our bill went like it it didn't just go up because we had another person there it went up like almost double um because that's how like aware we are and you work from home which is just kind of funny um so that's another huge area actually that i was talking with people about recently and just kind of like comparing utility bills And that should actually probably be a whole separate podcast, how to get those down. But just to kind of like get that out there on the record, you know, you will save money by, you know, chopping that in half and, you know, sharing it. But also you can probably just start saving money on your utility bill if you haven't been aware of where your energy is going. Right. Um, And that's a huge thing. I mean, we have a 17, 1800 square foot house with a full basement and our bill last month was like $65 for electric and gas. And I talked to somebody else with similar size house and it was $300. So, I mean, that's huge, right? That's hundreds of dollars a month in utility bills, which like that's not even a fun bill to pay. Right. So. And for $100 a month, you could probably fix whatever problem is 
causing you to drain all that electricity out. Yeah. Right? Whether it's bad insulation or, you know, some weird electrical problems going on or you're leaving something on all the time, right? Like $100 a month is worth looking into. Yeah. Um, to figure it out. Definitely. Um, all right. Well, I think we, you know, covered most of the areas. So kind of just to recap, um, I will say, you know, when we give advice on the podcast, we will we do try to talk in term of, terms of percentages. And roughly, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're single income or dual income, the percentages can be applied. Um, I will say, you know, we've found as being dual income, we've been able to save a lot more. But really, a lot of it's just been kind of having somebody to like motivate you more so than like, a huge reduction in cost because we moved in together. Uh, so yes, and I'll, I'll add one more thing on top of that. Um, I think having dual income, no kids, is means you have a safety net, right? So if like something happens, it's not as important that we have an emergency fund built up if I lose my job because like we're not completely dead in the water at that point because you still have income coming in from your job. Right. It would be very unlikely that we both lost them simultaneously, right? Right. Um, whereas if you're right when I was a single person, it was extremely important to me to like build up that emergency fund like right away because if anything happened to me, I'm on the hook for myself, right? That's a really and good point. I have to keep paying my rent. I have to like, you know, figure things out. I have to keep being able to eat in order in order to float by until I, you know, start that next income stream up. So, right, that was like critical job number one for me when I was out on my own was to like build that safety net. So a lot of my savings and income and anything that I was investing in was going toward that emergency fund buildup. And and that's a really good point because, I mean, I took the same approach to start paying off my student loans very aggressively while also building up an emergency fund. And, you know, I needed that. Like, within six months of graduating college, I absolutely needed that $5,000 emergency fund. Um, and that can that can be a lot more challenging to build up, I would say, just because you still kind of need the same amount, maybe. Um, You know, our fixed expenses haven't really changed much, but, you know, they say to save up three to six times your fixed expenses in an emergency fund. And so, yeah, you know, we've, when we um, merged finances, we basically could chop our emergency fund almost in half, which was huge. Um, So, yeah, getting that built up, I would say, is probably more important for a single income versus a dual income and having liquid cash, you know, at hand, ready to go for those sorts of things. That's a really good point. Um, But outside of that, I think, you know, in, in I think even when I actually did the investment order podcast that we did not too long ago, I did recommend like getting your emergency fund to a certain level first before like saving more aggressively in other investments. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that still applies, I would say. All right, well, do you have anything else? Um, I think just keep cutting things and just seeing, checking the boxes and seeing where you can go a little more lean and as far as you know your expense control and monitoring your activities and expenses. And right, I, I, I can't argue that it's a lot easier to get ahead when you have dual income. But it's certainly possible when you're a single income, right? Because, you know, I was able to save enough to both buy my buy my own car outright, pay off my student loans, and have enough in a few within like three or four years of working to like have the down payment on our house, right? Yep. When we moved into it. So And yeah. I was able to pay off 
student loans and a brand new car. So I was, yeah, I uh, paid off about $40,000 in like two and a half years from graduating college just by, honestly, I call it like the beans and rice diet, you know, like I kept my food expenses really low. I kept my transportation really low and I focused on reducing my housing costs as much as possible and just like plowed through those things. Um, so it's definitely possible, like on single income for sure. Have we been able to, you know, take our savings rate from probably individually, let's say 25 to 30% when we were single to now we're looking at a savings rate of about 50%? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's definitely easier for us to save money now, but honestly, if you can save 25 to 30% of your income, you're doing great anyways. Right. So, you know, strive for that and like, don't worry too much about it. You're, you're still doing great. Right. Especially, and that's another advantage of being single is, um, or, or just not having a kid or not having family in general is you don't need to just like buy a bunch of stuff because at some point you're going to need to probably rebuy that stuff anyway, because the person that you end up with is probably not going to like whatever that is, <laughs> right? You're going to like pick out things together. You're going to like move into a house together. You're going to get things. Unless you're us. You know, unless you're us. and then you We just... haven't replaced anything. So we are still using <laughs> the plates that my sisters bought me to go to college from the dollar store. Um, because why not? And you just accepted them. And then you had some plates and we just keep both sets. Right. Because why not? Until we don't need them. And all of our, like, yeah, so that's funny. Um, Most people do rebuy stuff. But yeah, and I, you know, that's another thing. Like, when you're, when you move out of college and you're getting your first place, like, don't feel like you need to buy everything all at once. Like, go to Goodwill and get a plate and a bowl and a cup and one pot, right? Like, we have a friend who had one pot for six years i think a pot and a bowl is like all he had yeah when he moved it was great um and um um, no not even a mattress he had like a foam topper that he slept on and he could he was like it's great because i can just fold it up and put it in my trunk to move but that was what he slept on um so i think you know a, a big thing is like you will adapt to whatever you have but marketing will always tell you that you should have more Right. So, like, feel free to scale back and, like, be like, can I live like this? And, or, you know, not even scaling back, I guess. Like, when you're starting out in life, just start out with the basics and be like, okay, what do I feel like I'm missing? And when, then when you're like, oh, you know, a, a fork would be nice, go buy yourself a fork. Right, but don't look at other people and say, oh, what am I missing? Look at yourself and your current situation yeah. and, like... What are your needs versus wants? And then say, what am I missing? Yeah. Because like that's how marketing works, right? Is they make you look at other people in society and say, you have less than them, so you need to have more to be better than them. Right. And that's just not, that's just not true. Right? Exactly. Well, and, you know, I'll kind of end on this because I feel like we're starting to ramble. But, you know, I've, I've heard so much, like, money can't buy happiness. And people seem to try to tell me that in terms of, like, I shouldn't save because why should I save all this money if it can't buy happiness? But I guess I always took it to mean, like, I can't go to a store and buy my happiness. My happiness is going to come from somewhere else. Which, honestly, to me, my happiness, I, I think, kind of comes from having the money saved up to not have to go to work to accrue more money. Right. You can't buy, like, just junk. Yeah, junk doesn't Junk doesn't happy. make me happy. <laughs> right. 
Um, not saying that like having money makes me happy. It's kind of like having the freedom. But I'll let you know when I actually have that freedom. Maybe it won't make me happy. Right. Well, that'll be episode 100, right? Episode 100 <laughs> by 100. That's a great goal. All right. Well, hopefully this kind of helps. And if you have any other questions, feel free to reach out. I will drop all that contact information in. And don't forget to share our podcast with a friend and you could win $50, which I think is pretty cool. All right, guys. Thanks. Have a great day. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.